Welcome back to another episode of Pulled Up Short. Thanks for joining us. Today we're excited to have Amy Shuffleton from Loyola University Chicago and David Bluestein from Boston College. Amy, I understand you're going to talk to us about the idea of collaboration and how it might not be as good as it sounds. That's correct. I have some doubts about the concept. It is in some ways, of course, a very good thing. In schools and in workplaces, children and adults are asked to be good collaborators. This is something you hear a lot, especially in the United States. I've heard that you hear it also in the United Kingdom. Um, it's a positive thing because working together, we can accomplish all kinds of things that we could not accomplish on our own. I mean, this is true as a human species. Most of our greatest achievements are matters of collaboration. All of our political societies are collaborations. And at a smaller level, we get a lot more done at best in workplaces and schools when we work with other people and when we're good collaborators. Um, when I first started hearing this phrase, though, it was in a school of education in 1997, and I had just come back from spending some time teaching in Poland, where you would never hear the expression good collaborator. So I was pulled up short. Um, it In Poland, you would never hear it because the word collaborant, which is a cognitive collaborator, um, is is an insult. It's like calling someone a snitch It's or a sellout. Um, the implication is that you've worked with the enemies to sell out your own side. And this, if you think about it, it makes sense in terms of history, right? Because Poland was a country that was occupied by the Nazis and then was occupied by the Soviet Union, effectively. And so collaboration had a much darker meaning than it ever took on in the United States, which was at least from the perspective of the dominant culture, never occupied, right? We were the occupiers, but never the occupied. Um, so it has this interesting double side. It represents what we do best and also the worst. I guess I recognize this negative sense of collaboration now that you bring it up, this notion of a collaborator working with the enemy. But I'm uneasy because it sounds as if you might be saying that these aren't just two separate things, the good collaboration and the bad collaboration, but maybe lurking inside the good collaboration is something bad that we don't recognize that we're supposed to worry about. Can you elaborate a bit more? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, I think collaboration can be understood as a contronym, which is a word that means one thing and also its opposite. Other examples of contronyms would be words like dust, which can mean to put dust onto something or to take dust off of something, right? Like you can dust a pie with flour, but you can also dust a bookshelf. Um, and in the case of collaboration, I think one meaning it has is that you're working with your peers for the good of everybody. The opposite meaning is that you're working with the enemy for your own personal gain. Um, if you look at why we might do one or the other, good collaboration or bad collaboration, call it, um, I think there's two important factors. One would be the political arrangements, and the other would be the rather tricky virtue of loyalty. Let's start with the best kind of collaboration. I think we often use um, collaborator to talk about, in a positive sense, to talk about an artistic collaboration or perhaps a scientific collaboration. Um, I mean, an example. So my friend Jesse is a poet and my friend Sasha does these great doodles. And one time my friend Jesse said she was looking for someone to illustrate some quirky poems of hers. And I said, oh, you should talk to my friend Sasha. And I put them in touch and they collaborated. And it was a very positive collaboration. They published some poems with doodles that were great. And I think if you look at what made this work so well, you 
notice a couple of things. For well, for one, um, nobody was making them do it. I just said Jesse meet Sasha, and then from there on, it was completely their choice. And if they had not gotten along with it or didn't like the ideas, they could have stopped at any time. So there were no power relations involved exactly. And they were each doing what they wanted to do and they discovered they could do it better together. That's very different, of course, from a situation in which there's some kind of threat in which if you don't collaborate, you're in the case of a school, you're going to get detention. Or if in the case of the Nazis, you know, you're going to get shot or something. And there's a lot of room in the middle. But once power comes in and you are being required to collaborate, it then becomes a trickier thing. So if you think about in democratic power arrangements, you know, at at best schools where children feel comfortable saying no to things or offices where power relations are not terribly hierarchical or terribly threatening, um, collaborations can go pretty well because when people don't feel good about the way they're going, they can pull an end to it. Um, When there's very hierarchical power, then you can get into problems. And I think this is, okay, most of us are not living under the Nazis or under the Soviet occupation. In fact, none of us are at the moment. Um, But we are still living in a society in which there are hierarchies of gender, of race, of class, um, and others too. And these play out in our workplaces, in our schools, in, in other situations in which we're asked to collaborate in ways that do create hierarchies that do put uncomfortable kinds of pressure on people. Um, I think lots of us who have, okay, we can all remember being in school when it was announced that there was going to be a group project. And I think many people feel a bit of anxiety and dread at that because you know that there's all kinds of ways it can go wrong. Uh, Someone can end up being bossy. Someone can end up being neurotic. Someone can end up having to do all the work because everybody slacks off. And a lot of the times that's also influenced, by, again, by, by race, by gender, by class. People start worrying that they're going to be asked to do certain kinds of work or that they're going to be stigmatized for speaking up too much or not speaking up enough. And their expectations around leadership and around who will do what that can make that uncomfortable. Of course, it doesn't always. But I think that does speak to some of the ways that collaborations can turn dark. The other dimension of all of this. So there's the the equality and equality aspect. Another dimension of all this is that we can, of course, have very short-term collaborations, like the one I mentioned between the poet and the the artist, where, you know, there's not really a chance for things to turn sour because it's very short-term. But the collaborations that really matter often are ones that go on over the long term, right? Like a parent-teacher association or some other kind of voluntary neighborhood association, or at the at the biggest, ongoing work situations or democracies where you have to keep collaborating with people through thick and thin for a long time. And that demands loyalty, which is a tricky kind of virtue. Um, it is something without which we couldn't really even have friends. I mean, if your friends were deciding whether to stand by you or not in every particular instance, regardless of your friendship, you wouldn't really think of them as friends at all. There has to be some sort of through thick and thin commitment. And that's also true, I think, of nations. I mean, we don't decide whether to maintain our citizenship or fulfill our civic obligations based on whether we like what's going on at the moment or not. There has to be some long-term commitment. And yet, of course, 
those commitments, those loyalties, also that's where you get jingoism and xenophobia and homophobia and ethnocentrism and all those kinds of things. And so there's there's this always this uneasy tension between is it enough or is it not enough? Um, something I found when I talk about this with students is if you say to students, okay, if someone's doing something that they ought not to be doing and they're a friend of yours and you ask them to stop and they don't stop, would you turn them into the authorities? And most people will say, do I think people should do that in general or would I do it? And I'll say, well, in general, should people report on their friends if their friends are doing nefarious things? And everyone will say, oh, yes, definitely. But then if you ask them, would you? They pretty much say, well, probably not. And you could see that as some sort of weakness of will or moral failure. But I think, in fact, it's not. It gets at exactly the the challenge of this, the ways it is this paradoxical idea that we don't want our friends to sell us out, but we want other people to sell out their friends, but not really. Um, it becomes very tricky. And it's, it's, yeah, it's a hard ideal to negotiate, to navigate. So we're trying to make sense of how it is that collaboration means both a positive thing and a negative thing. And you've said that we can't take the easy way out, which is that, yeah, there's good collaboration and bad collaboration, and they're just separate kinds of things, and it's an accident that they have the same word to refer to them. You're saying that actually this is more complicated, and that there's a reason why this one word covers both good and bad cases, because the good case is not as purely good as we might want to imagine. So I'm trying to get my head around that, and it is an unsettling insight that you've provided here. You've said that if there are power relationships, it often makes it more likely that the collaboration is bad because it's coerced, because the situation somehow makes positive collaboration more difficult. But isn't it true that all human interactions involve some kind of hierarchy or power relationship? There are always potential stereotypes of the kind that you've discussed present. And so I'm still trying to get my head around how collaboration means these two different things? And how is it that the good and the bad sense are connected to each other? Is one polluted by the other always? Or is there some hope for positive collaboration in the end? I think there's definitely hope for positive collaboration in the end. I think I think you're absolutely right that there's no escaping power relations, but they can be less hierarchical rather than more hierarchical. They can give people more room to behave in a variety of ways or less room. Um, they can be less punitive of speaking out or more punitive of speaking out. Um, I think when there's more room for people to say something like, you know, hey, teacher, you've asked us to do this, but I'm really not comfortable doing this because I'm the one who's doing all the work because, you know, so-and-so won't help, then that's better than if it's just that you can't speak up or change anything because you'll get in trouble. Um, I mean, ditto work, absolutely, that in work situations where people can negotiate the terms when they're work under which they're working together, that's better. I'm not sure. I mean, given that humans are humans, I'm not sure there's ever going to be any utopia in which we all work together very happily without any friction. But I think we can put in place kinds of power relations that help us navigate that friction. And also openness to pluralism, frankly. I mean, ways that people can behave differently in different situations without being stuck into specific ways of acting that might or might not fit them. So can you give us a sense of some of the implications of this point 
if collaboration is something that isn't just an unalloyed good, as you've been arguing, how should we position ourselves? You've said that all of our political systems and our institutions and our relationships and our families depend on collaboration, so we need it. How is it that we can acknowledge the potential dark side of collaboration and try to make those relationships and those institutions function more positively? Okay, well, I'm a philosopher of education, and I have a background in education and schools, so I tend to think a lot about how we teach children to be collaborators in schools. And I think, for one, if you look at the kinds of collaboration that American classrooms, and I'm thinking especially elementary school, middle school classrooms, but high schools too, if you think about the kinds of collaborations those classrooms reward, we often tell people to work together, but in the end, all of your grades are your grades, and they count for a lot when it comes to achieving things in life, like getting into selective colleges, getting good jobs, doing well on the MCATs, getting into medical school, whatever it is, right? There's Our society places a great emphasis on individual achievement, and the rewards are individual. And we are also pretty tough on cheating, for example, right? I mean, if you if you work with people to do well on a test by, say, sharing answers or helping each other out on homework, that's often considered wrong, nefarious. And there's, you know, there's reasons for this. You know, we're also a society that has pretty low levels of corruption. That's a good thing. But if you look, I mean, if you look at what other societies do in their schools, there's often less stress on individual achievement and more on standing by your classmates. Um, when I was in a Polish school in the 1990s, if someone came up to the teacher and said, hey, so-and-so is cheating by looking at my homework, the teacher would say, that's not how you talk about your classmates. The cheating didn't matter. It was you don't sell out your friends. And I think in American schools, it would be pretty different. Um, but that makes it sound pretty like it's all hopeless. But I think if you also, if you look at American schools, there's all kinds of ways in which we do encourage children to collaborate in the best ways. I mean, we have them run student newspapers together. We have them put on school plays together. They're in orchestras and bands. Um, they're on sports teams. And those are all kinds of activities where your individual achievement is only important if it helps the team, right? There's no point being a star soccer player if your insistence on being a superstar brings the team down. I mean, I think if anyone's watched the television show Ted Lasso, we see that beautifully played out, right? It, it, it does no good to be the star forward if your team can't win. Um, so I think, I think it's well worth thinking about these, these ways in which we do teach children to collaborate in the better ways and to value those. I mean, I think one of the sad things is that in recent years, schools have gotten much more focused on math achievement and literacy achievement and funds have been kept from things like music programs, sports programs, theater programs, that are the ways in which we teach the best kind of collaboration. It's interesting to think about education as a case. Can you also reflect a little bit on pluralism and pluralistic societies? You said earlier that collaboration, complex phenomenon that you've shown us that it is, is something that's important to maintain, especially in a context where you have people from different backgrounds with different belief systems who need to work together, who need to collaborate. What's the trick to creating a pluralistic democratic society or an organization that welcomes many different kinds of people and gets them to collaborate without falling into the dark side of collaboration? 
Well, let me start by saying I wish I had some magic answer for that because it's an enormous problem. But I think one direction to think about this in, um, I'm a big fan of the philosopher John Dewey, who thought a lot about this, which makes sense. He was writing at the beginning of the 20th century when all sorts of new immigrant groups are coming to the United States and Jim Crow was going on in the South and women still didn't have the right to vote. And he was concerned about all these things. Oh, and unions were getting busted and big cities were engaged in, you know, building up machine, political machines. So there were all kinds of ways in which collaboration was doing terrible things. And what Dewey ended up saying, and I think this holds well, is that, of course, there are groups, and there will always be groups, and groups will have inside and outside. But one way you can judge the value of a group is how open is it to working with other groups? How open is it to to, to cross-group collaboration, if you will? So I think the answer is not to try to get rid of our loyalties, but to think about the ways in which our loyal, the groups to which we are loyal um, can be shaped such that they are open to collaborations with other groups to which other people are loyal. And I think at best, that's what happens in a pluralistic society. It doesn't try to unify everybody, although, of course, there does have to be some sort of thinking of oneself as part of the whole, but that you can think of yourself as part of a bigger whole and think of yourself as part or part of a smaller group that is also open to other groups. Well, this has been very interesting to me. I had really focused on the positive sense of collaboration, I guess, like a typical American as you're describing it. And it's provocative to try to imagine how we need to get a more complex view of the concept and some of the puzzles that you've shown us emerge from this particular word and its two senses. So at this point, I'd like to invite in David Bluestein and see if he has a couple of questions for you. Uh, thank you, Stanton. <clears throat> uh, thank you for inviting me to participate in this presentation. And I want to thank you, Amy, for sharing your very thoughtful ideas on collaboration. I also uh, read your article in Educational Theory on Collaboration. You're doing really, really good work. And um, bringing um, attention to this issue of the nuance of collaboration in a way that I think a lot of people haven't thought of. So I want to follow up with this idea about the dark side of collaboration. Um, I know that there's, there's some attendant risks in collaboration, um, but I wonder, given your focus on education, if you've thought about uh, ways that our societies can be more intentional in helping people to manage collaboration. So for example, um, in schools, if we're going to be putting kids into groups, um, I wonder if we, if you've thought about um, designing some curriculum or educational experiences or psychological experiences that could kind of help students uh, understand how they could resist domineering authorities, how they could speak up for themselves, perhaps, and how they can maintain autonomy while in connection. Yeah, uh, this is a point where I think I want to give credit to other people who have done more in exactly that than I have. I'm, you know, being a philosopher, I've thought about it more abstractly. But if you look up best practices for collaborate for collaborations in schools, you can find great ideas, right? About, I mean, for example, assigning people particular roles, having groups talk about how they're going to work together, 
Um, I think something that schools would need to be and ditto workplaces would need to be doing in the background is thinking carefully about the ways in which our expectations around around who will collaborate, how are shaped by gender, by race, by social class, by you know those factors I've mentioned. Um, that probably happens outside of any particular experience of collaboration, but also within it, right? I mean, who's going to take the notes? Who's going to present the material? Who's going to do the research? Who's going to do the drawing, right? Things like that. Um, so there are definitely good ideas out there. Um, I think my the only reason I think I have anything to add to this really is that a lot of the what's out there assumes that if you know if you follow this checklist of doing these things you'll end up with a good collaboration and I think there's something deeper and darker in the human psyche going on. Yeah, so actually one of the parts of your presentation that I really resonated with was this um, looking at macro level collaboration, particularly in our um, rather fragile democracy right now. And I really appreciated you looking at these this broader kind of, um, let's say, this broader social collaboration that we engage in as a society. Um, what are your thoughts about how we could how we could inform voters, citizens, um, to resist domineering influences? How they could resist um, dark hegemonic forces? How they could resist conspiracy theories? Have you thought about collaboration at that broader level? Yeah. I mean, I also have an ongoing interest in identity politics, both in the ways that term is bandied about in public discourse, but also in the ways that scholars who have really thought about it in depth have given it more meaning. Um, I think, um, I mean, nowadays it gets used to label any sort of my group or the highway kind of approach to thing, right? It has to be, you know, black people first or women first or trans people first and, you know, nothing else. And I think if you look at the ways that people have thought about it in more sophisticated ways over the years, that's not what it was ever supposed to mean. I mean, if you go back to like, you know, the Combahee River Collective, a group of black women um, in the 1970s, you know, what they said was that they were putting black women first, but also that they recognized that nothing was going to get anywhere unless you were able to form um, alliances, allegiances, collaborations, call them with other groups, right? And I think that's what needs to be stressed, that you can be, you can have your own group that's working on your own things, but you have to keep making connections with other groups, because if we don't do that, we're all, if we don't hang together, we'll all hang separately, as Benjamin Franklin said. And I think, I mean, I think, unfortunately, media, and especially social media, tends to lead us towards these extremely partisan allegiances. But I think it's important to be a bit pragmatic here and, and think about like, well, if you really want to, you know, slow down climate change or support social justice, like you're you're going to have to work together with people who aren't you and who aren't yours. And you'll have to think of yourself as part of some bigger yours to which perhaps, you know, your loyalties, your affiliations are a bit looser than they are to your very own. But that doesn't mean you can't have both. Yeah, that's a great, that's a very thoughtful thank you. A very good response. <clears throat> um, so I want to move into another uh, association I had um, in thinking about collaboration and thinking about your presentation. Um, I love music. I love particularly the Beatles. And I thought a lot about the Lennon and McCartney collaboration as, as I was reading over your work. I don't know if you if you have much of a background in the Beatles. I think many people do, um, but it but if you think about this songwriting collaboration, 
that at one point it was kind of, you know, they sat together eye to eye, each playing guitars, writing songs. Um, so that collaboration clearly evolved and then broke down. Um, so if we think about this kind of classic songwriting collaboration, what are your thoughts about it? Do you think there were ways, are there lessons that we can learn about collaboration, about what went wrong? Ah, well, I'm glad you brought up music. I mean, I think like I, w I played the flute in high school and I was always in wind ensembles and what my friends and I did on weekends, I didn't usually play the flute, they played guitars, but you know, we would sit around and sing and play guitars and listen to music together. So I think it was, all of this is to some extent influenced by experiences of making music with other people, which is exactly one of those things that you can't do by yourself in the same way. You can, I mean, sure you can be a solo musician, but it's just not the same as a band. Um, so I think that's a beautiful example. Um, as for the breaking down, they produced a lot of good music before it went south. I yeah, and I think maybe that's just the way it is, right? They 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 worked together really well for a long time, produced some great music, and then they went their separate ways. Um, I think the mistake probably would have been trying to force them to keep to stick together somehow, right? I mean, like imagine if they'd been working for someone who told them, like, sorry, but you guys are just going to have to work it out and keep at it. I, I'm not sure we would have gotten good music. I don't think it would have been a good experience for either of them. I think we should just all be glad it worked for as long as it did. That's a great point. And I think I have the same view that it went as far as it could. I think ultimately what happens in collaboration is our individual psychologies are involved, our, our history of relationships, our psychological baggage gets stirred up. And I think um, that's part of what happened. Uh, in Lennon and McCartney, and that, that happens in many collaborations, is that we get stirred up, we get triggered. And I think that um, I think that your your ideas about collaboration are fascinating. And I, as a psychologist, I see so much room here for interesting dialogue and debate and um, hopefully some fruitful ideas about how we could help people manage collaboration in a way that's optimal for them and for the broader collective. Great. Well, thanks very much to Amy Shuffleton and David Bluestein. We appreciate your being here and sharing your insights with us. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Pulled Up Short. Please also check out our partner, the American Anthropological Association at AmericanAnthro.org. If you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our Pulled Up Short podcast, we release new episodes every Monday morning for this season. Follow us on Twitter at Pulled Up Short to keep up to date on all the latest news.